I entitled this message, The Lost. How many is that? The Found and the Prodigal Son. That's too much to preach, but we'll talk about it anyway. Our goal today is I bring this message is everybody locates himself. Put yourself in this message, and when you find yourself, say, oh, and be honest with yourself. If you're one of those that are lost, he lost people don't know they're lost. We talk about that. Try to locate yourself, and then when you locate yourself in this message, in the Word of God, I'm going to ask you to respond to that, which you found out or you realized that you admitted to. Because without response, nothing happens. Billy Graham says, you need to make a decision. And when decisions are made, everything happens. I want to start by saying, um, Jesus, I picked three approaches that he made in the scripture. Number one is found in Matthew 10, 5, and 6. We see him sending out the 12 apostles to the work that he had called them to. These 12, Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, listen to this, do not go into the way of the Gentiles, do not enter the city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Why is that? It was God's people, God's chosen people. And he said, go to the lost sheep. And I imagine, the Bible doesn't say this, but um, the history proves it out. When they went to the lost sheep of um, Israel, what do you think is the first thing they said back to them? We're not lost. You're the one that's lost. We're the chosen people. And the thing about being lost, you never know you're lost. Nobody told you if they did tell you. You didn't want to believe them. It's a tricky tricky thing. Why he sent him, uh, his disciples to the um, lost sheep of Israel. Why were they lost? They had strayed away from God. In the beginning, Adam and Eve, they were the people, God's creation. They strayed off and rebelled against the Lord, didn't they? And since Adam, death reigned among the people of the earth. We see another outreach God made to Noah and his family. He wiped out the whole earth uh, except Noah, the three sons and the three daughters-in-laws. He started a new creation. Did that work? Didn't work. Later on, he appointed Abram. He picked Abram, who became Abraham. Said, Abram, I want you to serve me. I, I got a plan for you. He was an idol worshiper. But he had faith in God and he obeyed God. And out of Abraham came Isaac, his son. Isaac had Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel, a prince with God. He had 12 sons that became the 12 tribes of Israel. 
God's people, special people. And a few hundred years had passed since then. And Jesus is saying, go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But they were so tied up in their religion, they couldn't understand. Some of them received Christ, but not all of them. Go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Not to the Gentiles. You remember we read, do not go to the Gentiles. Who are they? They're the ones without God. Gentiles, they are just without God. They're heathen. Without God. Don't go to them. But they're lost. Yeah, they lost. They don't know they lost. Some of them do. Don't go to the Gentiles. Don't go to the Samaritans. The Samaritans was a country above Israel. You, you remember, or maybe not, there were 12 tribes. They split in two, the two tribes on the bottom and the 10 tribes over the north. Through rebellion, God punished the 10 tribes, scattered them, and brought in some mongrels and mixed the blood. And the Samaritans were basically half-breeds. That's why when Jesus stopped at the well, the woman at the well, the first thing she asked, it's strange that you stop and talk to a Samaritan because Jews are not supposed to talk to Samaritans. We're lost people. At this time, Jesus said, don't go to them. Go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Number two. We see Jesus now in one of his approaches. He extends grace to others through faith. He went to Israel first. And there's a scripture um, in John 1, 11 to 13. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. Did not receive him. But, but look at this promise. But as many as received him... He gave the right to become the children of God to those that believe in his name. So you have the lost tribe, the lost people in the tribe, the house of Israel. And the second point, Jesus not only sends the 12 to Israel, now he turns to other people, giving them by faith the gifts of grace. Matthew 15 I love this story of verse 21. <clears throat> Matthew fifteen twenty-one, And Jesus went out there from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And these countries were heathen countries. He went there and behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and try, cried out to him saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon possessed. And he answered her not a word, and his disciples come and urged him, came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep in the house of Israel. And she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. This is for the house of Israel and their children. And she said, yes, Lord, I understand that uh, 
Yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which falls from the master's table, don't they? This is a powerful statement. She wouldn't give up. She's praying to the Lord. She needs help. Her, her daughter is demon-possessed. She wants an answer. But she's not qualified because she's not the, of the house of Israel. And what does he say? O woman, great is thy faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. So we see Jesus not only going to the house of Israel, he now turns to the general population and begins giving grace and to honor their faith. Luke 19, 1-10, the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He was a publican, not a republican. He was a publican. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> he was a turncoat. He was a member of the community, but he turned his back on him and got a job with the IRS. The Roman IRS. And he had the whole army of the Rome, Rome, city of Rome back of him. He could collect taxes anywhere he wanted. And he did. He was the most hated of all men in the community, the tax collector, the publican. And you know the song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. The children know it. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Savior he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree. And he said, Zacchaeus, you come down, for I'm going to your house today. And that upset a lot of people. He called him the greatest sinner among us, and he, he, he's going to his house and eat with sinners. Uh, hey, that was a day of grace. There's a couple of things uh, when you come to God. John six forty four. This is this amazes me. Jesus said, "No one can come to me unless the Father who sends me draws him." And I will raise him up at the last day. Let's look at that. No one can come to Jesus unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up at the last day. Have you gone through that transition where God the Father has drawn you by his Holy Spirit? We wouldn't have done it on our own unless God began to draw we think we can come to Jesus anytime he wants, but the next scripture, John fourteen six, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. <laughs> Seems like they have a relationship, huh? You can't come to Jesus unless the Father draws you by the Holy Spirit. You can't come to the Father unless you go through Jesus. That helps us. The problem, the people's minds are blinded. Second Corinthians three, uh, second Corinthians four, three, three to five. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is in the image of God, should shine upon them. 
For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. That scripture says the minds of the people have been blinded. We need help. Are you lost this morning? I don't know. Pray for the conviction of God to come to you, the understanding of God to show you where you are. A lot of people join the church or they frequent the church and don't know the difference between being lost and being saved. We're going to talk a little bit more about that and I want you to identify yourselves. Number three, Jesus not only sent the 12 out to the house of Israel, he extends the gifts of God through faith to anybody that would come. So we're included. And number three, he teaches with parables. And I, I want to look at these parables just a moment. He talks about three lost things. In Luke 15, 8 to 10, he talks about the lost coin. Or what woman having ten silver coins? Ten is a key word. If she loses one coin, does not she does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I found the peace that I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repents. In all three of these um, parables, Jesus is talking about the preciousness of one sinner, one lost person, changing their mind, coming to Jesus. He used the um, parable of the lost coin. Say, what is so valuable about the lost coin? It wasn't the lost coin. They had ten of them. And in that custom, that was the lady's dowry that her husband gave her. Ten coins that she would wear across her forehead or around her neck. But she had to keep them because the only way she could spend them is if her husband was killed and she was left as a widow. That was for her. And one day, one of the coins wind up missing what is that going to do it might be she's about to lose her marriage what did she do with the coin did she spend it on riotous living Uh, she didn't take care of it and the news spread oh she lost a coin what is she going to do because now her husband had the right to divorce her oh I wondered why she had a party with all her neighbors. I think because a rumor had spread. They had rumors back in that day too. So rejoice with everybody like a wedding party and everybody went home. Hey, they still married. They still doing good. She found the coin. She didn't steal it. She didn't spend it on other things. But Jesus used this in in their culture, saying, heaven rejoices when that which was lost is found. We're going to make some observances in a little while. Okay, the other one is the lost sheep. We have the lost coin. We have the lost sheep. 
Everybody knows about this one, huh? So he spoke this parable unto them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, and he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep, which was lost. I say to you, likewise, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who who repents than over the ninety-nine just persons who need no repentance. Wow. And number three. I don't want to read all of this because it's long. The prodigal son. You you know the story. Let me just summarize it. The prodigal son was one of the sons of this rich man who was prodded, who was pushed, who was nervous. He, He couldn't plant his feet where he was born. He said, Dad, I need to go. If you would, give me my inheritance and I'll get out of your hair. He was nervous and prodded. So you know the story, how he left, spent all of his inheritance in riotous living. And um, finally came to himself because they had a drought, uh, uh, a famine. He didn't have anything to eat. He had a job feeding pigs, which is against Jewish law. He said he, he, he was so hungry he wanted to eat the stuff that he was feeding the pigs. He said, well, he, the Bible says that then he came to himself and he started thinking, my dad has servants at home who's living better than me. They have all the food they want to eat. They have shelter. I think I'll go back to my father's house and tell him I have sinned before you and before God. Would you take me back as one of your hard servants? I don't want to be a son. I'm not asking you to make a son out of me. A few observations. The coin did not know he was lost. And I remember times in my life I didn't know I was lost, what I was. I brought a few photographs with me to share with you out of the family album. The first one I had is the beach baby. You know, I weighed 12 pounds when I was born. So I wasn't very old here. That was on Sheraton Shell Beach. You can't see across the lake. It was so big at that time. And the beach was made out of clamshells. But there was me. That's Do I look lost? You can't tell there. But I wasn't lost at that time because I, I, I believe the innocence God gives to babes through the faith of their parents. They're covered. The next photograph. Cute little thing. <laughs> My wife likes that picture because <laughs> she likes babies. Do I I look lost there? I look happy and all serene, you know? Syringe. 
There is an innocence to a baby. But we go on to the monk. That's when I joined the monastery. (laughs) I look saved there, huh? I kept growing. Am I accountable yet? Am I lost yet? It's questionable. I don't know what I was doing at that age. But we come to the point one day where we are accountable for walking away from God, rebelling against our parents, doing all the things we're not supposed to do. We we get to the point where we do need forgiveness. And the proper name for that is you lost. And you need to be saved. You need to have your sins forgiven. You need to have that forgiveness come from the Lord to recreate us. It's called a new birth. Number five, I call this one attitude. <laughs> Can you see the attitude? Is that, is that a, a lost position or a safe position? <laughs> Oh, man. The attitudes we pick up in life, we need to be saved from. I was about 1955. I was tough. I was cool. Number six. Getting a little older. I got a wife now. Little baby. That's our oldest daughter, Tony. The girl in the white is my wife. <laughs> Do I look lost there? I'm still lost. Because I was in the early 60s. And I didn't really come to a knowledge of being lost until 1962. And that's when I really confessed to God. And I'll tell you about that in a little while. Number seven, this is after I was saved. This is the meathead picture. <laughs> Remember Archie Bunker and the meathead? I was stylish. I was stylish. You were too. <laughs> it's still my wife sitting with me. I was saved by this time. Do I look saved? I don't know what look and save is. But the next picture shows me as one of the deacons of the local Baptist church where I got saved. I'm the second from the left. For those of you that know Brother Les Loading, he's the first on the left. And I'm the second one. The other ones you don't know. Here is me working as a lay lay person in the church with that fancy typewriter typing the bulletin. I was busy. Serious business. And now 55 years later. I want to make a few observations and, and give a little of our testimony. 
on the uh, parables, we observe that the coin did not know he was lost. And that's a condition of many people in our community today. They don't know they're lost. They don't even know they believe in Jesus. There's so many cultures out there, so many belief systems. I've never seen so many atheists in my life as I do now. People boldly say, I don't believe in God. And God is giving, giving them to the air to breathe. He's keeping them alive. Say, I don't believe in God. You don't believe in the one that's keeping you alive. They're confused. And they come to that conclusion. So the coin didn't know he was lost. Differ from the sheep. The sheep knew he was lost. Ah, oh, that's a little better. When a person begin, comes to the point where he knows he's lost, he didn't know the way home. He wake up, wakes up one day and he doesn't see any of his buddies. The, the 99, he left. They're doing all right because they're with each other. They don't have to be found. The shepherd knows where they are. But the sheep knows he's lost. That's the best place to come to where you know you're lost then you begin reaching out, you begin hungering after the Word of God, after something that you don't know what you're hungering for. But there's a hunger that builds in your life. And that's God working with you. Jesus said, no man can come to the Father, can come to me except my Father draw him. Thank God for the conviction. And if you're feeling like an old rotten sinner today, that's good. There's help for you. The ones that know, don't know they lost, ain't much help there. People are looking for them, but they, it has to be there. The sheep knew he was lost. All he needed was somebody to show him the way home because he didn't know the way home. And that's why we preach. That's why we witness. That's why we tell other people. That's That's why we live our lives the way we do so we can tell others the way home. And the prodigal. The prodigal knew he was lost, just like the sheep. But a difference in him, he chose to be lost. He told his dad, I'm going, I'm leaving. So he went to a far country. He chose to be lost. We have that group with us today. Do you know somebody who's choosing to be lost? That's left their families or they left the church. They, they left the teachings of God. Wow. And another strange thing about the prodigal. He knew the way home. He could have went home anytime he wanted to. What was the problem? There was a lot of problems. <laughs> He didn't want to go home. He chose not to go home. And we have people like that. They're lost. They chose to be lost. They know the way home, but they don't want to go. You might have some people like that if it's not you. He had to come to himself. And this is exactly what the Scripture says. When he came to himself, 
he said, I can go home and maybe ask my daddy to, to make me a, a servant. Not a paid servant, but a servant that has his meals and his room and board and stuff like that because they do it better than I am. When he made that decision, he took off. And you know what happened when he got home. And another strange thing about this, his daddy knew he was lost, but his daddy never did go looking for him. Like the shepherd did the sheep. Because uh, he said, uh, I'm not looking for him because he needs to run out of himself. He needs to make his own decision. He wants to live here. But he was looking out for his return. He didn't go get him. But the scripture says when the prodigal returned home, his father saw him a long way. Why? Why? Because he was looking for him. He was praying for him. He was believing for him. Tremendous story. How many of you are saved? How you know? Or you have a loss? Did you know? You found out? And we have many visitors coming to church right now through Brother Todd's work. But they need to know through the preaching of the word, the testimony of the other saints, that there's hope for them. That they're being sought after. I didn't know I was lost. Through those pictures, I didn't know anything about it. I was raised Catholic and... Uh, very devout home, very good people, very faithful. But I never did hear the word saved or lost or found. Maybe they said it and I didn't recognize it, but I, I didn't make that connection. And um, I went through a number of thought patterns about the faith I was supposed to have. And I would ask questions about it. I didn't know who to ask. The church told me uh, how to be secure and make sure you're in a state of grace, take communion, take confession. And I did that, particularly when a friend of mine asked me to be his best man. And um, I was married, and I said, okay, I'll be your best man. To do that, I had to um, go to confession and communion and do everything right. So, okay, that's good. So I rededicated myself to that, to that lifestyle of faith. But it didn't answer all my questions. I, I might have been a hard head. I couldn't understand the questions I was asking. So one day, during this time, my wife had rededicated her life to the Lord on a New Year's Eve party. And she came home from that party. She said, I've rededicated my life to the Lord. She had been saved since she was about eight years old. And she said, I'll let you know. You can do anything you want. I'm not telling you what to do. But as far as me, I'm not going out with you. I'm not going juking with you. We're not going partying. I'm not going with you. You can go if you want to. Hey. 
That sounded pretty good. You know you go stag or drag. That was my invitation to go stag. But the um, the question still persisted. persisted. I, say, I, I would sit in church uh, um, to worship, and I would have these questions. How do you pray to God, really? How do you know when He hears you? How do you know when He speaks to you? I couldn't make that connection and didn't know who to ask. I, I didn't ask a priest because we always had... French Canadians that hardly could speak English, no fault of their own, but they would put them at Baldwin. But it was hard to communicate with them. So I was wondering, what what will I do about this? At the same time, my wife had rededicated herself to the Lord, and she was reading her daily Bible readings. <laughs> that was the key. So one night as we went to bed, she took her Bible out and was going to read her daily Bible reading. I said, let me read that. I didn't know what a Bible was. We didn't have one in the house. We didn't read one. I I didn't know what it was for. Let me read that. She said, well, tonight we're reading in this this chapter right here. She handed it to me. It was Isaiah. He had the same questions I had. <laughs> Say, what is it? What do you mean by having these special ob- obligatory meetings and the new moons and the? I would have to read it for you. It's in Isaiah, the first chapter. And incense. Why do you burn incense? It's a, it's an abomination to me. And I was an altar boy burning incense at one time. So you don't like it either? <laughs> I was a simple man. <laughs> and, and a whole list of things, the solemn meeting and the high meetings and everything I identified. I didn't tell anybody, but I closed the book, gave it back to her. <laughs> but the next night, what happens? She pulls out a Bible again. <laughs> I got to read it because the thing spoke to me. It spoke to my questions that I had asked no one. And hear the Lord speaking to me through his word. Wow. I didn't know that would happen. I didn't know that could happen. It just happened. No, it just didn't happen. When she saw me, when she first saw me, my wife said, I'm going to marry that guy right there. She told her cousin. And she didn't know me. I was going steady with somebody else, and I wouldn't look at her because she looked too young. She said, I'm going to marry him. When she found out I was lost like a goose, she said, I'm going to marry him. Because she had told her pastor, when I get out of this house, I'll never darken the door of another church. Furthermore, I'll never marry a preacher. <laughs> so she saw me and she got to know me a little bit. She said, this guy don't have a chance. <laughs> I was still in that attitude. 
but God had a plan. And he began speaking to me through the Word of God. And the next night, he said, let me read that again. <laughs> First Timothy 4. And I'm not going to tell you what it says, but uh, it spoke to me. It spoke to, uh, about my uh, faith and stuff like that. That's enough. She would go to church on Sunday. I would sometime bring her and the kids and drop drop them off. Next Sunday, I got dressed. She said, where are you going? Said, I'm, I'm going with you. <laughs> going with me. Because I knew the pastor in that little church, her uncle, was preaching from the Bible. And the Bible had spoken to me that week. I said, I got to hear more of this. What was happening? The hunger? The Holy Spirit dealing with me? The Word of God building faith in my life? So I began going every Sunday. I became more faithful to that church than any of the members because I was hungry. I was 23 years old. had a wife and three children. I was hungry for the, for the things of the Lord. I was lost and finally got to know that I was indeed lost without Christ. But you know, I wouldn't do anything. I wouldn't surrender my life to God. Why? Because I had another experience. Younger, about 18, when we were first married, she, uh, they, at that little church, they were having a, a revival meeting. And they got all the people that they could to come to a revival meeting. So I was one of them and I went. Listen to the preaching late one Saturday night. I worked all day. I was tired. I had fever. wasn't feeling good. Some of them came to me and called me. You need to give your life to Christ. I couldn't argue with that. This was five years earlier than what I've been telling you about. So I said, well, okay. They brought me up front. They prayed the sinner's prayer with me. Okay. Now you need to be baptized. Say, well, if that's what you say, they baptized me. I was a wet, lost person. <laughs> no conviction in my heart, no knowledge in my heart of God. So I went through that, and then the preacher came by the store where I was a butcher. He said, you need to come to church, Francis. I said, I don't want to go to church. He said, but you need to go to church because you've confessed Christ as your Lord and you got baptized. You're a member of the church. You have to come to church. I don't want to come to church. There was no change in me. He said, well, you got to. I said, tell him to take my name off the membership list. He said, I can't do that. You have to come. I said, I'm not going. Don't look for me. I was ugly. So that was five years later. Now I'm dealing with this thing. God is speaking with me. I would not surrender to the Lord. Why? Because of that stillbirth I had. A lot of people are confused about that. I was raised in church. I confessed Christ. I was baptized. Did you get saved? Did you find out you were lost and then turn to Christ because of the knowledge in your heart, of the burden in your heart? 
It's an action. What time is it? 10.16. <laughs> I promised you I would quit on time. We're almost there. It's 10.16. If you got to go, you can go. <laughs> but I got something else to tell you. As you get older, you get slower. You, get, you don't get faster. What I wanted to say. So I would not give my life to Christ. I would not surrender my uh, will to him. Because you see, the church never did ask me to do that. The church gave me all the major doctrines we have to have. You know, like the virgin birth, the resurrection of Christ, the death and resurrection, his coming again, the Apostles' Creed and stuff like that. The church gave me everything I needed except... I never remember anybody saying at that time, you need to surrender your will to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I wouldn't have done it anyway if they told me. But this time, I'm hungry. I'm being fed. I know what Jesus wants. What does he want? He just has one invitation. He says, follow me. Pick up your cross, your electric chair, and follow me. We can all do that from a lost condition to following Jesus. And uh, that's where I was. I wouldn't make a move. My daughter's going to be here in the second service. I was reciting this to her a few weeks ago. She was four years old. She got sick. She wouldn't eat. She wouldn't drink. She had gotten dehydrated. She had a fast heartbeat, and um, no one could could make her ingest anything. So finally, Dr. Utke, our uh, family physician, said, we need to put her in a hospital and do some research. So he did. And I was up there on the Sunday afternoon with my daughter. And um, I began making peace with God, as they say. And talking to God, I said, all right, Lord, I know what you want from me. To surrender my life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I know that. And I have it till this day, but I'm willing today to surrender my life to you. But I don't know what that means. Okay, I'll follow Jesus. I'll do your will. But I don't know what your will is. I'm communicating with God in the hall of a hospital which is one of the best places to stay at a church. So I said, you know, the, the Catholics say it's okay to drink. The Baptists say, mm, no, you don't drink alcohol in front of one another. <laughs> so so I, don't, I don't know what the right thing is. I heard these things preached. And uh, say one says, my, my pastor smokes a big cigar on one hand. On the other hand, the Baptist say you, you're not supposed to smoke. You remember I preach here all the time. I, I refuse to preach on smoking. Say you don't smoke anyway. It's a cigarette that smokes. You're just a sucker. As long as you want to be the sucker, that's all right with me. 
So I had all these questions at that time. And I proved that I couldn't quit smoking. I was a young man, had been smoking since I was in high school, aggravating the principal and everything. Lucky strikes, man. So I said, Lord, I don't know about these things, to smoke or not to smoke. I said, well, I'll tell you what. I'll do your will, whatever that is. And I don't know how you tell people what to do. But if you be big enough to tell me what to do, I promise I'll be big enough to do it. That's what I told him. I said, oh, by the way, I want my daughter healed. If you don't mind, I pray that you would heal her. That's, that's all I ask for. And uh, <clears throat> Dr. Etke had come by and talked with me and said, Francis, we're looking at rheumatic fever now. And uh, we need to check her for that. So he went on down the hall into a room, a uh, lab of some kind. And I'm making my surrender to the Lord. <laughs> as soon as I got through, he's coming down the hall. He didn't stop. He said, Francis, he hit me on the back. There's nothing wrong with that child. She wouldn't eat. She wouldn't drink. Now he says, there is nothing wrong with her. Wow. Immediately. She called for something to eat and drink. How did I believe in healing in that state of my life? I don't know. But I asked God, and He gave me the desires of my heart. So I went to church that night, told them I had given my life to the Lord. They were kind of jealous because I didn't do it in the church. I did it in the hospital by myself. But I was committed. And the Lord began to change me. And I saw some changes in my life to encourage me. And the, the, the prominent thing is that I said, um, to, to you a while ago, I tried to quit smoking over and over again. I could make it to about three days. Three days without nicotine. And I was climbing the walls. I felt an emptiness inside. And that's stupid. I know that, that a little thing about that long will control my life. I, I don't have power over it. And I didn't pray about that. But I knew I could not quit. I tried so many times. But that happened on Sunday afternoon. By about Wednesday, I noticed something. I wasn't smoking anymore. Now, this is strange. I noticed my lucky strikes on a little shelf in, in my bathroom. They were drying up right there. Used to, I'd pop out of bed and have a cigarette. Before I go to bed, I need to have a cigarette. For three days now, I hadn't smoked, and I didn't even realize it. No withdrawals. Just completely set free. That spoke to me. That spoke to me. 
this is what happens when you you come as a lost person and you surrender your will to the Lordship of Jesus. I don't know what's in your life. We don't even know ourselves. But as we surrender to the Lord, we come out of that lost state and that state of redemption being saved. And things begin to happen. And I know the whole story. I can't go to church. I couldn't live that type of life. You're right. And it's not up to you. It's up to the Holy Spirit leading you and guiding you, giving you strength, um, learning the Word of God, receiving power from that. Mike, would you come up and join me? You appreciate Mike leading the music for us today. I asked you when we started to identify yourselves in this teaching. Do you know that you're lost? Have you ever been saved? This is your next step. Not an empty step. I don't push people because they pushed me and it wasn't good. But this is where you're going. If you've never received Christ into your life, never surrendered your will to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, one day you have to. You can wait if you want. Wait as long as you can. Hope you don't die during that time. But if it's a heartfelt commitment, a heartfelt move of reality, that you're willing to serve the Lord. Say, well, everybody, all my family will think I'm stupid. You are stupid. (laughs) Get over it. You have to lay everything down. Say, what will people think about me? I had to come to the point, I don't care what people think about me. I didn't go to the Bajum anymore. Bajum is where they had it all come. They say, oh, where's Martin? They say, oh, he's got religion. And they look down on you. I had decided to pay that price. To lose my family, my family turned against me. Not, not my wife and kids. But they didn't understand. They thought I was going into a lost situation. No, I'm coming from a lost situation into a found situation. I'm finding my way home. And I think Christianity is not for sissies anyway. And I realized that. I knew I would be tormented. I was living in this little bitty Catholic town. And I was right. (laughs) But it was okay. I understood. But I was committed to stay there. When I went to work at Cabot, I knew it would face the same thing. 300 men making fun of me. Oh, you some kind of little preacher or something like that, huh? I said, no. You're religious, huh? No, I'm not religious either. I know Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. That's the difference you see.
and I had to live that in front of men through ridicule, that's fine. I think Jesus received some ridicule, didn't he? <laughs> and he was doing all right. He was doing pretty good. The servant is just like his master. Master. 